Good morning. You know, there are, there are times in our lives that there's someone who wants to uh, give us instructions or there's someone who wants to teach us something or, or whatever and we just don't quite understand or we're just not quite getting what they're saying. Well, this happened to me yesterday. I walked into my daughter, which she just walked out, which is kind of perfect timing. Thank you, Lord. I walked into my daughter's room, and Carly had just gone through Bible school, followed by SOAR, followed by Camp Electric in Nashville, and we had gotten in uh, just 24 hours before this, and she was tired. And I was trying to give her some very basic instructions. I said, okay. And she said, what did you just say? And I said, come on, Carly, engage your brain. And she said, Dad, I haven't had my tea yet. And I said, well, just listen. You know, sometimes when we're trying to communicate with someone, it just doesn't work. Maybe, which I think is what happened yesterday, we're just not really listening. Maybe uh, the other person's just really not making sense. And I'm hoping that wasn't the case, but... Uh, maybe they're talking about something that's just way over our head and we just want to pretend that we know what's going on so we're not embarrassed. Have you ever been there? Amen. Um, I remember a time very early in our ministry in the Philippines that I was trying to communicate with someone, but the lines of communication somehow got very crossed in that communication. You see, we were on our way back from Manila, uh, traveling to uh, our home in Legaspi City. It was about a 12-hour drive or so. And on our way back, we were trying to find some pineapples. Because there is this thing that you take uh, gifts back to people. And so we knew that we were driving through the area called Camarines Norte. And in Camarines Norte, especially in the area of diet, D-A-E-T, Diet Camarines Norte. They have the sweetest pineapples in the world. And if you don't believe me, you can look it up on Wikipedia. They say they are the sweetest pineapples in the world. Um, it's true. These pineapples uh, are actually quite small. You see the picture of the little boy there? He's got one in each hand. He's a small boy. They're, they're small pineapples. They're called Diet Pineapples or queen pineapples or formosa pineapples, but they are the sweetest pineapples in the world. And so we stopped alongside the road at a little stand very similar to this one in the picture. Uh, but when we stopped, it was very late at night. It was about 1030 at night. And so we stopped off at this little uh, pineapple stand. And when we got out and I knew I wanted to buy pineapples, I reached in my pocket and pulled out all the money I had at that point in time, which I had 184 pesos. You say, well, that sounds pretty good. No. Uh, at that time, the, the peso rate was somewhere around 55 to 1. And so essentially what I had was somewhere around $3.50. Now, for those of you who are traveling in a third world country, it's not wise to be on a 12-hour overnight trip with $3.50 in your pocket. But no one said I was wise. So 
Um, there we were. We were wanting to buy pineapples at 10.30 at night, and I had $3.50. Well, I knew I needed to buy six pineapples. And so I thought, let's see how much I can get these pineapples for. Because we wanted to take these six pineapples. We wanted one for ourselves, and we had five families that we were working with, and we wanted to bring a gift back from diet, the sweetest pineapples in the world. And so I asked them, how much for six? Now remember, my language skills at this point in time were, were limited. I was, I was speaking Tagalog, but, but not completely. And, and the people where I was working spoke a different language. They spoke the Bicolano language. And so they understood Tagalog, and I understood a little Tagalog. And so I asked them, Makana para sais? How much for six? And the woman looked back at me and she said, 300 pesos. I was like, what? 300 pesos? That's crazy. That's like a dollar a pineapple. And so in that moment in time, I knew I could get the uh, pineapple for about a dollar each at Walmart. So I knew I was getting what is referred to in, in Asia as the white skin tax. Uh, it happens quite often. Um, and, you know, it's just a simple uh, situation. They know you can afford it. And so, therefore, you need to, to pay a little extra. And so I, I was, you know, it was late. I was tired. We'd been driving for eight hours at this point and had four hours still to go. And, and I just, I just didn't, didn't want to pay that. And besides, I told you, I only had 184 pesos in my pocket. And so... Um, I began to bargain with a lady, which Filipinos love to bargain. Uh, and so we were bargaining, and, and I finally got the woman to agree. I pulled out my pockets, and I showed her the, how they were empty, and I said, I only have 184. I need six pineapples. Will you give me six for 184? And finally, she agreed. Kind of disgusted. But she agreed. And when she did, and what happened next, I will never forget. Because in that moment, when the bargaining had stopped, this woman started speaking very quickly in a language that I really did not understand. And three men got up, young men got up immediately and started carrying my pineapples to me. Now, you can see in the picture what the pineapples look like. Next slide there, Jess. Each young man was carrying two bundles of six pineapples each. A total of 36 pineapples. And I had just bargained with this woman to get those for less than 10 cents per piece. Now the thing was, is we had this little car, um, and we had just come back from Manila, and one of the things about living in the province, or the boondock as they called it, which is where we get our word boondocks, and that's the reason uh, it is what it is, um, we were completely loaded with groceries in our car. We had just come from Manila, it was stacked. We had maybe this much clearance in the top of our SUV. And so at that point in time, there was no place to put 36 pineapples. 
But there was no way in the world that I was going to let that woman know that I was surprised at what they were bringing to me. And so I think we ended up holding pineapples for the next four hours on that trip. Um, and we had pineapples and more pineapples, more pineapples. Several of them ended up ruining, but um, yeah. So what's the moral of this story? Well, sometimes, for whatever reasons, people do not always understand what is going on until they see it for themselves. I sure didn't that way. You know, and uh, we joked as we, we kept driving, uh, well, you know, every missionary needs a pineapple story. And if you've read the book, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And so that's my pineapple story. Um, and, that, you know, they I didn't understand until I saw it for myself. And that's exactly what we find happening in this Scripture passage that we're going to be looking at today. Um, in Matthew chapter 20, if you want to turn there, you can. We're not going to spend much time here. But in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and following, Jesus is talking uh, to His disciples and telling them something that is very important to Him uh, as far as a teaching that He wanted them to understand. Notice what it says in verse 25. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom or many. And so what we find in this passage, Jesus is trying to teach His disciples that they needed to have <coughs> an attitude of a servant when they were leading the believers in the church. But the problem was, was that His disciples really didn't listen to Him. They didn't really learn this lesson when Jesus was teaching it to them. And so Jesus, I believe, decided that He needed to, to not just tell them about this lesson and tell them what they need to know, but He needed to show them how to be servant leaders. And so in John chapter 13, we find a passage of Scripture that's referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, this single discourse begins in John chapter 13 and it goes through John chapter 17. And the, the, this passage is unique in that we know for sure exactly when this takes place. Exactly when Jesus is sharing these things with His disciples. It takes place on Thursday night just before Jesus is arrested and the next day crucified to pay the penalty for our sins. We know for a fact that this all takes place on Thursday night. The other thing that we know is that Jesus knew that this was His last opportunity to be able to speak to His disciples. He knew that this was His last chance to impart to them the words 
the lessons that they needed to know to, to move forward and carry the gospel to all generations. He had already predicted his death. He had already told them that he was going to die. And he knew that it would occur before the Passover. And by the way, the Passover started the very next day. So these were Jesus' final words, and as such, I believe that we must make them our first priority. So beginning today, and culminating on Labor Day weekend, we're going to be looking at these final words of Jesus and the, the things that He shared with His disciples on that night before He was crucified, starting in John 13 and working our way through John chapter 17. And we're going to begin today by looking at a new way of thinking that Jesus presented to the twelve. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, and we're going to be reading there uh, the first 17 verses of this chapter. John chapter 13, beginning our reading in verse 1, it tells us some of this that we've just discussed. The Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, okay, it's the day before it started, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Jesus knew He was about to die. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the, to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. <coughs> he came to Simon Peter who said to Him, Lord, do You wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was, about to, who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this passage, and I thank you uh, for the heart of Jesus. As we look at these things, help us to understand his heart, his motivations, and the lessons that he has for us here today. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A new way of thinking. You know, here at Temple Baptist Church of Rogers, Arkansas, our goal ought to be, should be, our purpose for being here needs to be that every individual, each and every one of you sitting here today, is going to connect with God by worshiping Him. Amen? Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Praise Band, for, the, for leading us in worship this morning. And, and we've got to connect with God. That's why we come together. Just to connect with God through worship. And we, we connect with God uh, each day of the week as we spend time reading His Word and applying its truths to our life. life. So we've got to connect to God. But we also need to connect with one another. You know, if you're here today and you are not involved in one of our Bible study groups on either Sunday morning or at another time during the week, uh, I want to encourage you to connect with some with others in this church. Um, you know, uh, we have a lot of fun when we come together and and study God's Word together, and it's it's a lot of fun to connect. Um, with one another in that way. And, and, and that's important to the Christian life. Yes, we need to connect with God, but we need to connect with one another. And then the third thing that I think that is a purpose and a goal for us as a church and as individuals uh, is that we also need to connect to ministry. God has put within us that we need to serve. And we need to connect in ministry. And then the last is we've got to connect with the lost. We've got to find the lost and, and share the truth of the Gospel with them. I think this, this is a, in a nutshell is why we come together here in this church. is to connect with God and to connect with others. Connect in ministry and to connect with the lost. And in this passage here in John chapter 13, we see Jesus addressing that third step in the process. And that is connecting in ministry. Each one of us needs a significant way in which we serve God by serving others. Amen? <laughs> Thank you. hate it when I have to ask for it, but... Every single one of us need a significant way that we serve God by serving others. And, and can I really be blunt with you this morning? I, I usually am, and I, I don't normally apologize often, but you know, um, frankly, and you, I, I, I just can't believe I'm saying this, but I think it's true. Frankly, folks, some of you need to step back from serving so many places in the church. That's not something you normally hear a preacher say, is it? 
But we've got some folks here that they are serving in so many different ways that they're not significant, but rather they're serving almost out of indignity, out of resentment, out of obligation. And you know, I, I'm, I applaud your faithfulness, but we've got to realize that it is God who set the limits that we have in our lives. And to disregard the limits that we have in our life is to set ourselves up as God. We can only do what we can do. And so some of us need to step back so we can serve in a significant way in, a, in one, two, maybe three, but not 27 different ways in the church. But then there's the other side of this same coin where we've got some who, frankly, need to step out in faith and decide to begin serving God and others in a significant way because you're not serving in any way. Every believer, that means each and every one of us that have trusted in Christ as our personal Savior, Savior, every single one of us needs a significant ministry. Not 27, but we need a significant ministry, a way to connect in ministry to others for the glory of God. And so this morning, we're going to think about Jesus' teaching on this very thing. The first thing that I noticed is that Jesus showed them what it meant to be a servant. He showed them what it meant. Why did Jesus choose to wash their feet? I mean, that seems a bit random. You know, I, I guess, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but I, I've seen sermons where uh, the pastor's preaching on John chapter 13, and, and so uh, they'll call all the deacons up to the stage, and then the pastoral team will each choose a deacon and, and wash their feet. And, you know, uh, that's that's... Nothing wrong with that, um, but I didn't want to look at Chuck Bruce's feet this morning, you know? Um, and he understands. He probably doesn't want me touching his feet. I don't know. Why did Jesus choose to wash their feet? Well, I don't know how many of you have spent very much time on airplanes, especially intercontinental flights, uh, but the best part of an intercontinental uh, airplane ride is about 30 minutes before you reach your destination. And in that, in that time frame, this is the moment in time when the cabin attendant hands you, with little tongs, a hot towel. I cannot explain to you what an amazing thing that little hot towel is after you've been sitting on this airplane for 15 hours. Okay? And you think, 15 hours? Yeah, 15 hours to get over the Pacific. There is nothing more refreshing than a hot towel after a long trip. It gets you ready to face the world. And I wipe that all over my face and then my head and then my arms and my neck. And, and it's almost like taking a bath. But, you know, I'm not washing everything, but it makes me feel rejuvenated. Um, you know... 
sometimes I wonder if at about 11.43 we should have those cabin stewards walking the aisles, uh, passing out hot towels to everyone. Maybe I should have done that, Chuck. I don't know. Um, But it's a pick-me-up that that I need to, to face what I'm about to face when I walk out of that airplane into the airport and into the country that I'm going to. Um, Why would Jesus wash the feet of the disciples? Well, see, just before this, in chapter 12, we learn that the disciples were outside the city of Jerusalem. And then they had just arrived in the city. And when they arrived in the city, they went to the upper room. Now, how did they get from outside into the city and up to the upper room? They walked, right? What kind of shoes were they wearing? I can promise you this, they were not bedazzled converse. And if you weren't in my Bible study group this morning, you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, But they were probably some sort of sandals. And where were they walking? Well, this is the Middle East. It's some sort of desert-like topography outside the city of Jerusalem. So my question to you is, do you think that they needed their feet washed after that journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in the upper room, Jesus was serving them in a way that they needed to be served as He was setting the example for them in how they needed to serve. Check out this slide. Jesus was serving them in a way that they needed to be served as He was setting the example for how they, too, needed to serve others. Jesus had already taught them this lesson. I read that to you in Matthew chapter 20. He had taught this lesson just a week or two before, in fact if you look at the the chronology of what was going on in Jesus' life. He had taught this lesson, but they didn't learn the lesson. He told them, you know, leaders should not lord it over, but they should be servants, but they didn't understand that. You know, in order to learn some things, sometimes we just have to experience the truth for ourselves. That's what Jesus did for these disciples. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus showed them what it meant to be a servant. The second thing I notice is that Jesus tells them what it means to be a leader. There in chapter 13, verse 12, Jesus starts to explain Himself to the disciples. He tells them, hey y'all, this is a new way of thinking. This does not follow our cultural norms. You need to pay attention. This is what I am telling you. What did he say? Do you understand what I've done to you? Verse 12. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So he's telling them that they need to serve the people that they lead. They need to serve the people that they teach. And then in verses 15-17, through he's, He's telling them, you need to do this. A servant is not greater than his master, and you will be blessed if you will do what I'm telling you to do. 
Do it. Don't just talk about it. Actually do it. So as we think about this concept of being a leader who serves, uh, biblical scholars and, and teachers of, of ministry philosophy call this concept servant leadership. But what's the antithesis to servant leadership? If you've got servant leadership here, then on the other side, I think you've got self-serving leaders. So what's the difference between being a servant leader and a self-serving leader? I think there are four big differences here. I think the first one is that servant leaders are focused on serving others with no regard for themselves. Whereas a self-serving leader is addicted to power and recognition from others. You see, the servant leader, it's all about what I can do for you. But a self-serving leader, it's all about what can you do for me. Jesus is telling them, we've got to put the needs of others first. The second thing that I notice is that servant leaders welcome feedback. And self-serving leaders respond negatively to feedback. The third thing I notice, servant leaders look for those who have leadership potential and train them. Whereas self-serving leaders are not likely to spend any time or effort in training their replacements. My job as a missionary was always very clear. Do the work God called me to do. Raise someone up to take over that work and get out of the way. It's a very clear concept. Yesterday morning, I had an opportunity to, to visit for about an hour with one of my uh, uh, friends and disciples in the Philippines. He was talking to me about situations that he's facing and asking for advice. And I, I just want to say, wow, God has blessed that work because of that man. Uh, he's doing the job so much better than I ever did. <laughs> um, I got to spend 10 years working with him, training him. And God's doing amazing things to this guy. I still have an opportunity to speak into his life every, every month or two. And what a blessing that is. But we've got to look for those with leadership potential and train them. The fourth thing, fourth difference, that servant leaders view leadership as an act of service, where self-serving leaders view leadership as something to be protected or it might be lost. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are, we are transitioning, I would say. And some of us are, are still struggling a little bit with the transition, and that's okay. It's, there's nothing wrong with the way things used to be, and there's nothing wrong with the way that things are, are progressing. But the transition is that from, um, well, it's, it's the concept of silos to a team ministry concept. 
When I say silos, it's where each individual pastor and leader has their own responsibilities and they never they never intermix. And we're we're moving more to a, a team concept of a pastoral ministry. And you know, um, we as a team, myself and Dan and John and Brother Ron, uh, we as a team of pastors, we we have to be careful not to wear our feelings on our sleeve. Because when you're talking about a team concept of ministry, there's going to be overlapping. And there's going to be opportunities where, where you know, my responsibility, you know, fades into what Dan's responsibility is and John's responsibility is and Brother Ron's responsibility is. And, and, and we've got to communicate and we can't be worried about whether we have to protect our leadership. We can't do that. We want to lead like Jesus. We've got to view leadership as an act of service. What kind of leader are you? What kind of a believer are you? Well, you know, I think there are five tests that can help us determine whether we are servant leaders or we are self-serving leaders. The first test is, where is your focus? When, when you are serving God, when you are uh, leading in the church, leading in a ministry, whatever, leading in your family, men, what is your focus? Is your focus on yourself? Or is your focus on others? If you want to be a servant leader, your focus has to be on others. Test number two is how do you deal with advice and criticism? Now, I think most men in this room are probably thinking, you're meddling, Brother Wade. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't like criticism. I like being encouraged. Some of y'all have figured that out, and, and you encourage me on a regular basis, and that's a blessing. I, I like to be affirmed. Um, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to listen to anybody else. Amen? Yeah, I get more amens on that one, I'm sure. But the fact of the matter is, if we want to be a servant leader, if we view leadership as, as a service, then we're going to receive that advice and we're going to receive that criticism with the heart of what Jesus, how Jesus would have received it. I mean, when Jesus said, what do you do if someone strikes you? Well, you turn the other cheek and let him strike the other as well. That's not as easy done as it is to say. The third test, are you preparing others to fulfill your role in the future? God has called us to multiply, period. To go and make disciples, teaching them all things that I've commanded you to do. Our goal is to multiply ourselves. Whatever you are doing right now, you need to be thinking about who could do my job next year in five years. 
We've got to prepare others to fulfill the roles that we're currently leading in. Test number four, do you let God be the leader or are you, uh, sorry, do you let God be the leader and you be the servant or are you taking that lead away from God? And number five, how do you respond when you are treated like a servant? I think this one's the one that gets me the most. I mean, it's all fun and games and good and godly to say, I want to be a servant leader. I want to have the attitude of Christ. I want to serve others and love others the way Jesus did when He loved and served others and put the needs of others first. That's all good until someone puts you in that place. And then how do you respond? The journey to lead like Jesus, the journey to live like Jesus, starts in the heart with motivation. What is motivating me as I am trying to connect in ministry here at Temple Baptist Church? Am I, am I trying to connect into a leadership position, serve here in the church, in order to gain a little more power, to gain a little more prestige, if that's your motivation, then your heart's not right. The journey to lead like Jesus and the journey to serve like Jesus begins in the heart and our heart's motivation. Verse 15 in John 13 says, Jesus saying, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Folks, as we walk through those five tests, if you responded negatively to any one of those five tests, the Scripture is clear. You will be blessed if you follow Jesus' example of service and truly serve with a heart of a servant. But if you responded negatively to any of those, your motivation is wrong. What change is God calling you to make this morning in the ways that you're serving Him and the ways that you are serving others. God is calling us to a new way of thinking. Hope that you're, you're ready to start embracing this concept of serving leadership, serving others with a heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this time together. Father, I thank You for these, these words. And Father, I thank You that when we don't understand what Your Son teaches us and what Your Word teaches us, that Father, You love us enough to show us very clearly with a picture 
of Jesus being willing to wash the feet of His followers. Father, we thank You that Jesus had the heart of a servant. And Father, we ask now that as we attempt to serve You in and through this church, that You'll give us that same heart. We pray in Jesus' name.